0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, what is going on? What is going on? It is your boy, Highlight Real, AKA the Prince of Botch, baby. You already know what time it is, man. Welcome to this edition of the uh, post WrestleMania, the post WrestleMania show. This is this is this is it, guys. Part two literally just happened. And we are officially, officially, we're done. That is your 36th edition of WrestleMania. The WrestleMania that was too big for one night. Too big for one night. Guys, how y'all feeling out there? Y'all all all right? How y'all feeling? Y'all feel like night one was better? or Y'all feel like night two was better? Y'all feeling like, "Hey, was was that main event overwhelming, underwhelming? Overwhelming? If that's even a word right now, I don't know. How do we how do we how do we feel right now? Cuz I'm going to tell y'all, I'm not as excited as I probably was for night 1 to some degree. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I mean like hmm all right, all right. Let's just let's just let's go ahead and call a spade a spade here. WWE was not original whatsoever. They were not original whatsoever with that main event. I I don't know what that was, y'all. I really don't. I don't know what that was. Like that was. All due respect to Drew, I I enjoyed Drew getting his moment. Drew McIntyre totally deserved that his first universal championship or WWE championship whatever you, you know how that goes he deserved it he deserved the the mania moment the championship run he deserved the royal rumble win he deserved all of that but the match itself very 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 underwhelming y'all like to be completely real with you I don't even think that would have went over even with a crowd. I mean, the crowd probably would have just erupted off the fact that Drew won the championship. The match itself, I don't think the fans would have been happy with that. Even a live, even 80,000 fans in live attendance would not have been happy with that outcome. I mean, as far as the way the match went, I mean, it was not dramatic. It was It was predictable. I don't know what it is about Brat Lesnar, man. He seems to have better matches with smaller guys. But whenever he's matched up with guys that are either bigger than him or the same exact stature of him, like build-wise, he just doesn't put on a great match with guys like that. And, you know, maybe maybe both of these men probably just did it short, sweet, and to the point because they knew – they couldn't really feed off of a crowd and an audience, you know. That's the only thing I'm really thinking to make this thing seem somewhat logical. You feel me? Like <laughs> I don't get it, y'all. I really don't. I don't understand what it is that I witnessed just now. But it was not the best at all. It was. It was not. It was. It was not the best main event in the world. I feel like it could have been way better, should have been way better. And, obviously, it shouldn't have been the main event. It, it really it really shouldn't have. But I get it because, you know, WWE sticks, even though these past couple of years they haven't stuck to that tradition, normally the Royal Rumble winner does generally uh, main event WrestleMania. Now, last year we did get that with Becky Lynch and the Triple Threat match because Becky Lynch did win the Women's Royal Rumble. Bambu and she got the main event. The women got the main event. But I'm just saying like I get why they made that the main event but based off of the fact that you had Cena and Wyatt in cinematic form before that I feel like you should have just did like you did with AJ Styles and Undertaker in Night One. You should have had the cinematic end on a main eventing note. So what stood out about Tonight's part two of WrestleMania to me. Ugh. Okay, let me see. I did enjoy, uh, albeit I didn't care too much about the tag team title match with the Street Profits. I love the Street Profits. Anybody who knows me knows that I love those guys. They are awesome. I just didn't care for the match because it was thrown together. It was, it was, it was, that wasn't a real feud. It wasn't, it was just, it was a one-night stand, a kiss you in the morning, and I'll see you never again. It was a, it was all of that. It was a uh, thanks for coming, here's two bucks, and get out of my sight. Literally. Like, that's all that was. But it ended with a real dope mania moment between Montez Forward and his wife, Bianca Belair. Now, I knew somebody was going to make an appearance because when I saw the match end, I I figured some kind of way. I, I really did. I figured that it was going to lead to something. I figured that it meant, all right, somebody is about to interfere. You know, like somebody or something. Like, you know, I thought maybe we were going to get, like, a a special legendary appearance from a legend or something. You know, I don't know. I didn't know what was coming. But when I saw Selena Vega getting involved and she was like, kicking Montez forward and stuff like that, I said to myself, oh, yeah, a woman is definitely going to come out. And lo and behold, my girl Bianca Belair came out and she gave Zelina that work, boy. Gave her that work. And that was probably the best part of what that tag team title match was. Again, props to the Street Profits for retaining. There's no surprise in that because I figured and knew that they were going to retain anyway. But the real highlight of that was... The the fact that Montez Ford got to have a true WrestleMania moment with his wife, his real-life wife Bianca Belair, they got to share a moment together, and that's really kind of the end of that. So that was a major positive in my book. Uh, surprisingly, the SmackDown Women's Championship match, albeit it was very lengthy, it uh it did deliver. It 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 it, it delivered in a different way compared to the NXT Women's Championship match that kicked off the show. Uh, The SmackDown Women's Championship match delivered in a way of, of, it was like, okay, this was good storytelling. Uh, You know, again, you didn't really need Tamina in this match. You didn't need Lacey Evans in this match. Naomi, I definitely was cool with being in the match. And I feel like you could have eliminated Lacey Evans and you still could have told the story that you told with Lacey. You could have did that with Naomi. Naomi could have been the one to eliminate Sasha. And then it told the story of, you know, exactly what Lacey did. Ironically, though, of course, they have Lacey win over Sasha, you know, kind of just to get that little revenge, you know, in there because they have their own little side feud or whatever. So, of course that happens, but the fact that you have Bailey and Sasha, the pieces have been put into the puzzle. And basically at that point, you can tell it was supposed to be Sasha Banks and Bailey feuding for the championship at Mania this year. That's what it was supposed to be. However, turns out that is not the case. It turns out they actually decided to do this Six pack that turned into a five pack due to Dana Brooke being on quarantine. They kind of switched it to where it was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you know, we're just gonna make this one big six pack with women who don't really even matter, with the exception of maybe Naomi. Right? For a second, I ain't gonna lie, I was pissed because I really thought when it got down to Sasha and Bailey, you know, double team and Lacey Evans, I really thought for a split second here, especially the moment Sasha got eliminated, I really thought for a second. Lacey Evans was about to win this doggone match and be your new SmackDown Women's Champion, and I was going to be heated. Lacey Evans is a wonderful girl outside of the ring, but inside of the ring, I ain't feeling the agenda that they're giving her. Because again, Vince McMahon and WWE with this agenda of attractive blonde white women, no offense to my white listeners out there, I'm just saying. (laughs) This agenda that he has, where he's just like pushing... All of these, you know, top notch blondes, these Hollywood blondes, you know. I mean, he's been doing it for years. You know, your Sonny, your Sonny's, your Sables, your Tori Wilson's, Stacey Keebler's, you know, you name it, your Kelly Kelly's. You know what I'm saying? You, you guys are getting the trend here. I mean, it's just, it's like your Trish Stratuses, you know, and I love me some Trish. I love Trish, but you get what I'm saying here? Charlotte Flair, you know, like Carmella, Alexa Bliss. Do I need to go further? You know, it's just one one of those things where, again, you could have taken Lacey Evans out of that, had her get eliminated by Sasha. And then you could have had Naomi kind of play the middleman there to where then, you know, Naomi is the one that eliminates Sasha. And then it comes down to her and Bailey, And then Sasha helps her and you still tell the story that you tell them. But nonetheless, it told a good story. So surprisingly for a match that a lot of people didn't really care about going into it, and it wasn't because of, because of Sasha and Bailey, they cared about those two. It was everybody, everybody else around that that just kind of got thrown in there, with the exception of maybe Naomi. I got to keep emphasizing Naomi because I love me some Naomi, and I know you guys love Naomi, so I don't want Naomi getting shut out. You know what I mean? Because I feel like she got done unfairly a little bit in this scenario because I still feel like this could have been Bailey versus Naomi. Or like I said, it could have just been a triple threat match with Naomi, Bailey, and Sasha. Still would have worked, you know? You still could have told the story that you just told. But it is what it is. We're here. They use Lacey Evans. And they, they had me real in, man. For a second, I was about to riot, bro. Like, I really thought... Lacey Evans was going to win this doggone match. And I was going to be like, man, they really have to give this woman a title? For real? Like, come on, man. Is it really necessary? You know what I mean? But thanks to Sasha Banks, they did not do that. But the crazy part about it was the story that was told in this match is the fact that Lacey Evans tried to hit Bailey with the woman's right. Miscommunication between Bailey and Sasha in the match as they were double teaming on Lacey. Lacey recovers while ba- Bailey and Sasha are arguing. And we see Bailey, you know, notice that Lacey Evans is trying to come at her. Sasha saves her from getting hit. And then Bailey blocks it, turns it around, and the punch knocks out Sasha. And Lacey Evans pins her. One, two, three. Bailey could have stopped it didn't stop it sasha's obviously knocked out and unconscious and can't see that Bailey didn't even try to save her sasha gets eliminated and what happens right when sasha or right when Bailey was about to dare I say lose here comes sasha to save her best friend keep your friends close and your enemies closer keep your best friend enemies closer however you want to look at it. Nonetheless, great storytelling on that end of things. Uh, speaking of great storytelling, I'm definitely going to get to that a little bit later with my favorite part of this entire show. Um, but, but let's just go on the list. Like I said, speak, we're going to stay on the women here for a second. And let's go ahead and look at what kicked off the show. So you had Lacey Evans. No, I'm Sorry. Lacey Evans is on the brain right now. I don't know why. God, I please get her off of my mind. Ugh. But anyways. So, guys, we kicked off the show with Rhea Ripley, who was, I guess, in Vegeta-inspired attire because she was in blue and white and gold with trim. So I saw Cedric Alexander kind of tweet her and say, I see you, Rhea, I see you. And there was a GIF of, vegeta going super saiyan so evidently at first i was trying to figure out why the heck she was wearing blue and then when i saw that tweet i was like oh okay i get it she's vegeta that was okay it was cool it's been done before you know the new day uh but hey i'll never turn down a fellow dragon ball z fan who likes to inspire with something dragon ball z themed so for that raya you get much respect Now, what did I tell y'all? What did I tell y'all? Did I not say it? Did I not call it? I told y'all in my preview show, if you didn't hear it, go check out, stop, pause pause this episode, okay, and go back and look into my preview show. And I told y'all clear as day, the shovel was going to be brought out. Get your shovels ready. Rhea freaking Ripley. All that hype, all that buildup, all of what they had been doing with her, calling her the next big thing, calling her uh, Charlotte 2.0, all that stuff. And what happened? She beats Rhea Ripley. Beats Rhea Ripley. So you know what's so funny about both of these shows right now? Both part one and part two were very, 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 very identical to one another, if you guys didn't notice. How, you may ask? Well, let's let's go down the line here. Women's championships were on the line. Both women ended up retaining. Yet, of the third women's championship, there was only one that ended up changing hands. And gee, who ended up getting that? Charlotte. Charlotte freaking Flair. Now, here's a fun fact. You have three of the four horsewomen who are now champions. Go figure, guys. Three of the four horsewomen are now currently champions. You have Charlotte Flair, who is now your new NXT Women's Champion. You have Bayley, who is still your SmackDown Women's Champion. You have freaking Becky, who is still... You're raw, women's champion. Now, gee, I smell a triple threat or something of that nature, or there's something, something going on here. It's not a coincidence that you have these four horsewomen right now who are champions, okay? But more specifically, the likes of a Shayna Baszler and a Rhea Ripley, More so Rhea Ripley than probably Shayna. But yet, both of these women, if you notice, got buried within the same weekend. They both got buried, guys. Bring out your shovels. This was the WrestleMania of burial. Literally. The two people that Triple H booked so well in NXT both come to the main roster and get buried. Need I mind you, of the two, one of them is technically still an NXT superstar. And they got buried. Now, why is Charlotte going to be your NXT Women's Champion? I have no idea. But she is. And now, that technically, I guess, makes her a member of NXT, even though she's a Raw superstar. Does that even matter anymore? Clearly, it doesn't. I guess... Since she won the Royal Rumble and chose to face Rhea Ripley, that makes her an NXT superstar again. So technically, doesn't that mean Charlotte is demoted? Or what does that mean? Can someone explain it to me? Because I'm having a little trouble processing it. Because she's on the main roster. She's been on the main roster. They've been pushing her. They have not not been pushing her. So usually... When someone's back in NXT, it's kind of a demotion of some sorts, you know, bad booking wasn't really working for you in the main roster. So you found a way to get back in NXT, kind of reinvent yourself, refine yourself and or just be happy because you got creative freedom to some extent in NXT compared to the main roster. And yet somehow you're going to sit here and tell me now that the queen, the one that you push. Higher and higher and higher every single time. She is now literally in NXT. She beat Bianca Belair. She beat Rhea Ripley. When you look at some of the women in NXT right now, your Zia Lees, your Aaliyahs, your Chelsea Blackhearts, your Chelsea Greens, Diana Parazos. You know, the 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 Candice LeRae's, you know, your E.U. Shirai's. You know, you can go down the entire list of NXT women. Please tell me, realistically speaking, which one of those women do you see beating Charlotte Flair? Because if Rhea Ripley didn't do it, clearly it's not going to happen. She didn't go over tonight, so do you really expect her to beat Charlotte again? No. And again, Bianca Belair didn't do it. So, I don't know. What, what's the point? So, that's something to think about, people. All in all, it's a toss-up. A lot of people feel like these women, you know, since they kicked off part two of, the, of Mania tonight, they feel like that match stole the show. They set the bar. You could argue about that. It's tough to tell. Can I be honest with y'all? I ain't gonna lie. It's very tough to say who stole what show when you don't have the fans around the fans are the ones that technically decide who stole the show and unfortunately for me all i got to go by is twitter So, so based off the trending topics of today from part two it seems like rhea ripley and charlotte were a trending topic bianca belair making her appearance was a trending topic Bray Wyatt and John Cena and what that was was a trending topic. And Drew McIntyre having his WrestleMania moment was a trending topic. And then, of course, there's the Mandy Rose effect of, hey, Otis finally got the girl. He finally got the gal. Big man Otis, you finally got the gal. I'd say those are probably your top trending topics on tonight's show. Now, let's continue on here. Because after that, you get Bobby Lashley against Alistair Black. I figured that match was going to come next for some odd reason. And when the match happened, I was heated. Because of all the people they could have fed Alistair to, they fed him Bobby Lashley. Now, some of you out there who are Bobby Lashley haters, I don't know why you're Bobby Lashley haters, I don't get it. It is what it is. That's how you feel, that's you. I like Bobby Lashley, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for the type of performer that he is, the great shape that he's in. And let's just be real. I don't get this Alistair Black hype. I don't, I don't get it. I don't see what y'all see. The man has a look, I get it. If you're into guys with long hair and beards and tattoos, Sure, okay, why not? Be my guest. But me, nah, I could do without all of that. A guy like Bobby Lashley, who has that type of build and athleticism and looks like a legit prototype. Oh, and by the way, did do some legit MMA, by the way, and was pretty doggone good at it. Literally a mirror image of Brock Lesnar. And you're gonna tell me, you just feed him a specimen like that to Aleister Black, a guy that you fed nothing but jobbers to. The only people that Aleister Black has really beaten of some credibility is AJ Styles and now Bobby Lashley. Everybody else has either been a jobber or a local, okay? And again, I just don't see the hype behind Aleister Black. Even in the times of watching him in NXT, I still just didn't get it. The man has one heck of a finisher. That roundhouse kick is definitely something serious. That black mask is nothing to play with. But seriously, what is the big deal about Alistair Black? They say this man is supposed to be supernatural. He's supposed to be an Undertaker-like figure. Name one thing Alistair Black has done that is very supernatural. Has he made any lights come on, go off? Sure, he has a cool little entrance, I guess. But what have you really seen him do? Does he do anything cool with his eyes? Does he make fire come out of the turnbuckles? Does he make the lights go off in the arena and then, like, show up like the fiend? Hmm? No? He just hides in closets, says, come knock on my door and pick a fight with me. Wow. whoop de doo Okay. Again, I'm not trying to hate on him in-ring because the man can definitely do things. He can go in the ring, but I just don't see the hype of why he's getting pushed the way he's getting pushed. Okay. I don't get it. I I just don't. I don't get it. Now, when it comes to Lashley, all I'm here to say, y'all, is the fact that From the time this man came back in WWE, here's the reason why I'm so high on him. When he came back in WWE, y'all, this man was in TNA. He was an impact Wrestling, murdering everybody. He was literally booked like a straight-up beast. The way you see Brock Lesnar booked right now is how he was booked in TNA. Bobby Lashley was at a point where he won every single title in Impact Wrestling, except for maybe the Women's Championship. And I think he even tried to go after that in a, in a jokingly-type fashion. That man had won every single title in the company at the same time, just to show how beastly he was. So when the time came and he left, and his contract was up, y'all know that this man literally only came back to WWE just to face Brock Lesnar? This man made it known in interviews before he even signed with WWE. Yes, he would like to go against Brock Lesnar. And yet, we have not seen that not one time yet. So again, I say, people, explain to me why you just randomly tossed this man in a match with Aleister Black. No buildup. No, no real reason to lead to the feud. Nobody did anything to anybody. Lashley didn't do anything to him. He didn't do anything to Lashley. It just got thrown together for no random reason. And just because Alistair won, I'm supposed to just now believe that, that what? Lashley is no longer credible? Creditable? Like, what? what is this? You know? So I know I predicted Lashley to win, but I figured Alistair would win. And for those of you out there saying, as the way it should have been, that's the way it should be. Okay. So then what, what do you do next with Lashley? Because knowing WWE logic, y'all do realize this man gonna probably get thrown into a title match, right? I'm trying to think of the last match Bobby Lashley actually won as of late. Because last time I recall seeing him, he lost in a, a triple threat match to Ricochet, who, by the way, is very much buried in since he got destroyed by Brock Lesnar in less than five minutes. So someone please, please explain to me. With Bobby Lashley, the guy who really should have won against Brock Lesnar at that Saudi Arabian event, and now we probably won't see that because Lesnar just lost the title, so unless you're going to do a Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar type of deal where there's no title on the line, I don't understand why why you haven't striked when the iron was hot to strike. Lashley's been on the main roster. He's been back in WWE for a little minute now. And you still haven't given us the match. I want to see that. A lot of fans want to see that. So I don't understand why you haven't done it. But it is what it is. Alistair Black wins. Bobby Lashley tried to spear him. Caught that man with a quick black mask. Over, done, finito, out of there. So what's next? Now what? Where do you go with both men? What does it mean for Alistair? Does it catapult him into a title shot to go against Drew McIntyre in the future? Or does it go absolutely nowhere and he's just back to beating up jobbers again? Or local talent? If you're Bobby Lashley, what happens with you? Do you get catapulted into a title match against Drew McIntyre? In a feud, knowing that you just lost to a guy who probably should really be in that position. Really think about that. That's the WWE logic for you. But anyway, moving on, let's see. What else did you have on this part two of Mania? Okay, let's 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 talk about Edge and Orton. Edge and Randy Orton. The match that everybody was most looking forward to seeing. The match that that had the most intrigue, the best storyline, the best everything. I'm going to be real with y'all when I say this match was very long. As expected, because, you know, I get it. It, it, it was kind of, you know, it had the best buildup, the best excitement and anticipation, the best story. So why wouldn't you make this one lengthy? I really just look at this match and I couldn't help but just look at, I felt like that match was very limited. I tried to imagine that if they were just back in Tampa Bay in that, in that in that stadium, how much better that, that match could have been. Now, yeah, it got very emotional towards the end. Edge and Randy Orton did exactly what they could with what they could. What do you expect when you're stuck in a performance center warehouse in Orlando with no fans to feed off of? And you got limited amount of space to work around. You know, they they went all around and everywhere that they could, but at the end of the day, it was a limited space. You know how many times, especially as of late with Raw, SmackDown, and NXT being filmed there, you know how many times we've probably seen that performance center up and down to the point where we know what the whole doggone building looks like at this point. So, again, I say... What is the point of doing what we're doing? What, 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 what? You know, I mean, the match was good, but again, I think it would have been better with the fans. It worked compared to most matches; it actually worked. My issue with it was the commentary, for one. I would have, I would have much rather Michael Cole and JBL to commentate it than Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton. I-, I couldn't get into the commentary with those two. Like, I would have much rather it have been Michael Cole and JBL. I think they would have made that come more to life. Again, it would have been better to see what this match would have been like with the fans. And again, I just try to picture what it would have been like to see this in the Tampa Bay Stadium versus a, you know, limited space performance center in Orlando, Florida. So, I don't know, man. Uh, Not quite what I expected, but still good nonetheless. Uh, Edge did some pretty cool, unique stuff. You can tell he's been working on some, uh, I guess you could say some CrossFit or or, or something of that nature. Maybe some Ninja Warrior training or something. I don't know. Because he was doing some stuff I've never seen him do before, ever. Being real innovative. Um, but, eh, I mean, it was straight. The match was straight. Like I said, towards the end, it got real good and emotional. But as a whole, I don't know about y'all, but I personally don't think it lived up to what everything else around it did. But I still respect both men because, hey, what can you do? You have no fans. And you have a limited space. So I'm not going to completely put this on them. I just hate that WWE had to cause this to be what it is instead of just trying to push it back and wait for things to get back to a norm and try to let them create a better story. Hopefully, if this isn't the end and they get to face each other again, like maybe at a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series, or maybe even next year's WrestleMania or something, Hopefully then things are back to a great norm and you actually have fans to bring the story to life that much more. But it is what it is, y'all. That's my kind of take on that. Edge was victorious. He did a concerto and returned the favor to Randy Orton. They were on top of a uh, production truck, an NXT production truck. And uh, yeah, that was that. I mean, you could see... Shout out to Edge because he he really sold the emotion with the look on his face. It it was like it hurt him to do what he did to an old friend, you know, but he had to do it because, you know. So it was what it was. Uh, Otis against Dolph Ziggler. Now, let me tell y'all an interesting fact about this match, just in case there's a listener out there who did not know this. In the years what, 9, 10, maybe 11 years that Dolph Ziggler's been in WWE now, would y'all believe that this was his first singles WrestleMania match? Let that sink in for a second. This was Dolph Ziggler's first singles match at a WrestleMania. Now, (laughs) I find that very mind-blowing right now. I never knew that. And I can't believe that. Because even at a time when Dolph Ziggler was like on that come up, on that rise, and he really had the fans behind him more than ever, you're going to tell me that man was never in a WrestleMania one-on-one with someone. That is crazy to me. And it just goes to show how unfairly he's been treated over the years. Like it's like he's, had his moments that 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 are like, yeah, you know, you you had this you had this this really dope moment. Him winning the world heavyweight championship after winning winning, you know, cashing in money in the bank, the, the thunderous pop, one of the greatest, if not the greatest pop ever for a money in the bank winner. You know what I mean? So Ziggler, that that's just so crazy. And then on top of that, he lost, lost. But I mean, it's not even about the fact that he lost the match. You saw that coming. But just the fact that in his in all of his years, with all of the way he's put his body on the line, the way he sells, the things that he continues to do for WWE, how could you not have given that man a singles WrestleMania match a long time ago? You realize that you could have had him go against Shawn Michaels back when Shawn Michaels was still wrestling? I'm sure he would have loved to have had a match against Shawn Michaels before Shawn Michaels called it quits. He was in WWE around that time. You easily could have told a story with that, you know? But that's crazy to me. But nonetheless, this was a match that was, it was what it was. It was just, it was a payoff. It was a payoff match. Otis got time to shine on his own. Uh, You know, it signifies that maybe, like I said before, in the future sometime, I hate to say this, but heavy machinery might end up getting split up a little sooner than we'd like. Vince isn't a fan of tag teams, and he's not known for breaking up tag teams prematurely. He did it with Enzo and Cass. He did it with Crime Time. He did it with, you know, so many different Deuce and Domino, if you remember that tag team. Uh, <laughs> he's done that with a lot of people. And he'll break up tag teams and then try to allow one to shine. One ends up becoming the Marty Jannetty, if you will, to you fans, old school wrestling fans who remember Shawn Michaels with Marty Jannetty and they were the Rockers, you know? Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels when they split up. Shawn Michaels went on to be a big, bright star, a legend to this very day, while Marty Jannetty is completely forgotten about. Do you remember anything about Marty Jannetty outside of the Rockers? No, you don't. So... I really would hate to see that happen to Tucker because with the charisma that Otis has, you can tell, although he may be a uh, quote-unquote fat guy, he's a charismatic, strong fat guy, quote-unquote. And, I mean, I just, I can tell that WWE is going to slowly continue to catapult and push him. And with Mandy Rose now by his side, seeing as how they are officially now together, Storyline aspect wise, you ain't gonna tell me they're not gonna push him as a singles competitor at some point, and they're just gonna break him off. And Ports Tucker is just gonna be somewhere fading in the background. It happens all the time. So Otis picks up the W, he beats Dolph Ziggler as expected. Mandy Rose comes out in a very, very, very gorgeous outfit. When is that woman never appealing? Oh, my gosh, Mandy. Oh, man. A brother could just fantasize about that girl because just she truly is just very, very, very astonishing. A true gift from God, if you will. But, hey, that's just me. Some of you guys out there probably agree with me. And to you guys who don't, hey. It is what it is. You like what you like. I like what I like. It is what it is. We good with that. Nonetheless, Otis got the gal. They got to have their WrestleMania moment. They shared a kiss. Truth be told, that was a payoff match. And again, having no crowd for that moment sucks because even going back to the moment with Bianca Belair and Montez Ford, if the crowd would have been there for that moment, you would have got a thunderous reaction. The fans love Bianca Belair. They love the Street prophets. They know that Montez Ford and Bianca Belair are married. So when they see Zelina Vega beating up on Montez Ford while he's being held by two gentlemen, and then they see Bianca Belair come out and save her man, you know, of course the crowd going to erupt for that. And then the same case is with Mandy Rose and Otis. That moment, albeit it was cool, it would have been that much better with a fan base in attendance. And now they'll remember that moment, but will we really remember that moment? Will we really remember the moment of Montez Ford and his wife, Bianca Belair? They're going to remember it because they're husband and wife. But are we as fans gonna remember that moment? Again, when you think about iconic WrestleMania moments, you always think about the crowd, how they reacted to those moments. Given the circumstances of right now with no fans in attendance, it's not the same. It's just not, it's not the same. And even though I suggested in the last episode When I, you know, again, if you guys didn't hear my review on part one, go back and listen to it. But I just suggested, hey, you could have put fake crowd audio noise in the background. And at least even with that, it would have probably made the moment that much more kind of like a moment. Without any of that, it's just it is what it is. You know what I mean? It's, It's strange. But anyway, I digress. Congrats to Otis. Got his mania moment. Mandy, she got her mania moment. Bianca Belair, Montez Ford, they got their mania moments. Charlotte, again, with a mania moment. A moment she didn't deserve. I'm not a Charlotte Flair hater, but I'm not a Charlotte Flair lover either. I don't like the way... She keeps getting pushed with things. I mean, she doesn't deserve everything. She deserves some things. But she doesn't deserve everything. There's only one title that she hasn't won at this point. And that's just the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships, which are completely worthless. But who's to say, at some point, once she loses that NXT title, because at some point she will. Who? I don't know. But when she does lose it, if she ever loses it, there's gonna come a point in time where they're gonna be like, okay, well, what else do we do with Charlotte? Let's see. We've given her the Royal Rumble, we've given her numerous title runs, she's already in the double digits. We've let her go over Trish Stratus. We, you know, they, they've done so much where it's like, what else do you do with her? The only other thing for her to do at this point is find a random tag team partner. Win those worthless tag team titles and then boom, your resume is complete. Charlotte at that point would join Bayley and be the second woman to hold all the titles. And yeah, to be completely real with you, this NXT women's title win is just to add to the resume of her already numerous title runs. Because what is this for her now? Number 11, 12, something like that. I don't know. I lost count because they keep giving this woman the championships I don't know how many times. But it is what it is, people. Can't get mad about it. But it is what it is. So, what else stood out to me about tonight's show? Well, to be completely real with y'all, the only other moment to really talk about with this show as a whole is to talk about this Firefly Funhouse match. Man, let me tell you. This match, if you want to call it a match, a cinematic match, whatever. To me, best part of tonight. Just like yesterday with the Boneyard match, the Firefly Funhouse match, to me, in my opinion, was the best part of part two. Now, some of you guys are probably like, really? Because I didn't understand one bit of what was going on. It was just here, 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 and here. One, I love it because it was really dope how, how they went retro and relived certain moments like John Cena's debut and, you know, John Cena's rap. Debut when he was the thug, doctor of thug economics, uh, the NWO moment, you know, the just all kind of stuff. Like Bray Wyatt has a very artistic, genius like mind. And that man is a genius. And if you don't know that, you need to go ahead and re watch that. Because he literally, not, not only did he bring back the old Bray Wyatt, Not only did he show you what John Cena looks like back then, which, by the way, it's weird to see John Cena look like the old John Cena when he has a full head of hair. If John would have gotten a haircut and went back to the buzz cut, it really would have been reminiscent, because body shape-wise, he's still very much in the shape that he was in then. Yes, he looks a little older, but nonetheless... He's still in a similar shape that he was in when he was both of those. Now, this match was everywhere. It was it was what it was. But I love the supernatural elements in it. See, again, this is what I'm talking about. Name one thing about Aleister Black. This is why I keep trying to tell you guys. This is why I'm not into the Alistair Black hype. Because... I keep hearing how he's supposed to be this 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 supernatural figure. I guess he's supposed to be a demon or something. But when I think about supernatural characters, I think about The Undertaker. I think about Kane. I think about both ver- versions of Bray Wyatt, the cult Bray Wyatt and the fiend Bray Wyatt. You see what I'm saying? I think about Mordecai, to those of you who probably remember that guy. Maybe even Kevin Thorne, but he was was a vampire, so I don't know if that counts. But Mordecai... (laughs) Do your research on that guy if you don't remember who he is. He only lasted about a blue moon, but he was supposed to be like an anti-version of The Undertaker or something like that. It didn't really work out. It was what it was, but hey. I'm just saying he was a supernatural being, and even he showed some supernatural elements. I haven't seen one supernatural thing from Aleister Black once. So please tell me, how on earth is that supposed to classify? But Bray Wyatt is a genius. I really enjoyed, I really just enjoyed those flashback moments. Like, I love how they had the SmackDown fist, you know, how they had the SmackDown fist showing in the background. I love how they just literally made John Cena go from present day John to rookie John to ruthless aggression thug doctor of thugonomics John back to current fruity pebbles John if you will. I'm almost, almost kind of surprised they didn't throw in the moment with The Rock, you know, like I'm kind of surprised they didn't kind of just touch on the whole battle with him and The Rock at that time. I think that would have been cool to do in that because I like how they were just flashing all over the place. Uh, I enjoyed the Saturday night's main event, you know, part. Uh, Anybody who's an old school wrestling fan that's listening, I'm pretty sure you enjoyed that, even though it may have been all over the place. Don't tell me you didn't enjoy that. It it had to take you back seeing that old school Saturday night's main event flashback. Um, Same thing with people who came up in my era and saw the WCW flashback. You know, you can't tell me that didn't take you back to the 90s for a minute, you know? And so uh all in all to me, I give that the best part of this 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 part too, because it it told an amazing story. Some of y'all may be like, I don't know what I watched, because it didn't really feel like a wrestling match, but I guarantee you that was the point. These cinematic matches don't really necessarily completely have to make sense in a traditional wrestling match standpoint. The whole point of these cinematic matches is to carry an older superstar in a way that you don't really have to carry them traditionally in a real wrestling match. But also, it's a means of just being completely creative. And to be real with you, I think WrestleMania as a whole should have been more of the cinematic side than the actual, oh, we're just gonna wrestle in a warehouse empty, with no fans in attendance, and annoying commentary that is incredibly loud and 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 totally just overbearing. You know what I'm saying? I think they should have did the majority of these matches in a cinematic form. You could have did Edge and Randy Orton inside of a house, like a legit house. Like, y'all remember that time when, when, when Triple H and Randy Orton were feuding, and Triple H busted inside of Randy Orton's house and threw him out the window? You could have did something like that. I know WWE had the money in their budget to go, you know, buy a house. You could have went and bought a little house that you could beat up and and do things with and then, you know, sell it and let somebody fix it up or you fix it up and sell it. Whatever. You know how that game go. But there's a lot of things they could have did. And like I said, it it was what it was with Edge and Randy Orton, but, I mean, you could have filmed a cinematic style of match where they could have been in a house and you Probably could have even been like, "Hey, this is Adam Copeland's house, or this is Randy Orton's house, you know, whatever, anything. you could have you could have did that. You could have you could have done that maybe something dark with Alistair Black and Bobby Lashley, even though you just threw this together, you still could have did something cinematic. if he's supposedly a supernatural being, why not have him in his own little dark world where he, you know, him and Lashley fought in his closet? Lashley knocked on his door to pick a fight with him, and they started fighting in his world. You know, easy. But it was what it was. So for me, WrestleMania as a whole, for both parts, to me, in my opinion, y'all, I'm just going to be real when I say the cinematics pretty much made this mania what it could be. It made this mania from being horrible, completely horrible. Like I said, I mean, there were, there were overall, you know, like the, the triple threat ladder match in part one, you know, there were dope spots and and dope things in it. But again, with no crowd, it wasn't the same. When you look at this, the five pack women's championship match, told a good story amongst best friends who are soon to be enemies it told a a cool little story, even though you didn't have to have all of those women in there to tell that story, but it told a cool little story. You know what I'm saying? Even with Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair, it told a cool little story to some degree. Unfortunately, it just led to Charlotte burying yet another superstar talent, but it is what it is. You know? So, I don't know. I mean, even with Shayna and Becky... You could have done that in a in a in a octagon, you know. We're gonna enter into Shayna's realm, where Shayna's at home, you know. This is an MMA cage, you know. You could have did something like that in a cinematic form. There's a lot of things you could have did with each of these different matches. I don't, I don't know what to say about the ones that were thrown together. Maybe they could have been pre shows. Maybe they, I don't know, but. All in all, y'all, Wrestlemania this year, this is probably going to go down in history as the weirdest, most surreal, most unheard of, and possibly, possibly forgettable Wrestlemania of all time. Now, I do kind of hold back on that term of forgettable because of the fact that at that Boneyard match really did kind of work some wonders, as did this Firefly Funhouse match. So because of those alone, had they not been in this, this would have definitely, hands down, been the most forgettable WrestleMania of all time. Circumstances are no circumstances. As fans, as critics, as, as true lovers of the sport, we have a right to speak what we feel if it's if it's trash it's trash if it's okay it's okay if it's great if it's five star if it's amazing it's amazing that's why we watch it that's what we are here for ladies and gentlemen i am your voice i I try to be a voice i hope that i can be a voice to the voiceless no cm punk included when i say that but still wrestlemania 36 Listen to my first review when I told you guys about that meaning behind the number 36. And just tell me, when you look at that meaning behind the number 36 and you look at both of these WrestleManias in whole, are you really getting that feeling when you watch these back? Mike, again, I applaud every single superstar that worked with what they had and how they had it, who remained focused and didn't. Not get depressed or not allow the fact of no audience to, you know, make them go halfway in in their matches. They gave their all. They did what they could do with what they could and what they had. It's not their fault. But we still have to come at this very critically. And y'all, keeping it 100, no fans for a WrestleMania is a no. And if it wasn't for you guys, I probably wouldn't even have watched it. Not because I don't love wrestling, but because I just have a hard time watching wrestling with no fans. It is so weird. It's okay when it's one match or two matches, you know, if a feud is so bad that they got to do it with no audience. That's a different story, but when you're talking about a whole... show and you're trying to tell a story because again everybody's talking about what show what match what moment stole the show the triple threat ladder match stole the show ray ripley and charlotte stole the show undertaker and aj Styles stole the show bray wyatt and john cena kept you guessing and wondering i don't know what show they're stealing i don't even know what kind of show this is but it got you talking My point that I'm making here is that you cannot tell me this show, the granddaddy of them all, the grandest stage of them all, the Super Bowl for professional wrestling. I want you guys to think about something. Imagine the Super Bowl. This year's Super Bowl, for that matter. Let's let's go with this year's Super Bowl. Say the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Given the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl for the first time in a number of years, can you imagine? Because this is this is basically what I have to say regarding Drew McIntyre's moment, regarding Braun Strowman's little moment, because it was it was major for the both of them. Really try to imagine the Kansas City Chiefs winning the Super Bowl that they won this year with absolutely no fans in attendance. Picture that in your head. Does it feel weird yet? Does it look weird? Exactly. Picture the NBA Finals. Can't say it for this year, because unfortunately there, there really won't be an NBA Finals this year. So let's just go last year. Let's look at Toronto, who won their first franchise NBA championship at a time where the pandemic that exists right now did not exist in that moment. Try to picture the Toronto Raptors, no fans in attendance, winning their first championship. Does it feel weird yet? Can you picture that? Remember the moment of Jurassic Park? Remember the moment of the fans roaring the way that they were roaring and how Toronto was lit up the rest of that night? In a current situation like now, clearly you wouldn't see that at all. But imagine every single Toronto Raptor on that team that worked so hard to get to that stage to win a championship with no fans to celebrate in front of. Same thing for the Kansas City Chiefs. Same thing for any major sport. So when you look at Drew McIntyre, who beat Brock Lesnar, in a very lackluster, underwhelming match, it was nothing but finishers. That's it. F5s, Claymore kicks, just like Goldberg and Braun Strowman nothing but spears and power slams. I don't know about y'all, but that annoys me to see repetitive finishers over and over and over. It it, it really just seems to discredit. it. It downsizes the finisher when you're doing it 50 million times. And then when you get your moment... Your emotion doesn't doesn't matter because there's no fans around you to cheer and or boo, depending on how they feel about it. Regardless, one thing about pro wrestling, they always say it. If you come out, whether you get cheered or whether you get booed, at least you're getting a reaction. But the worst thing is no reaction. And that's with the crowd. So imagine coming out with no reaction because there's no crowd, period. Do you get where I'm coming from, people? Do you understand it yet? That's my overall sum of how I felt about this year's WrestleMania. And I know it's not just me. It's you guys. Yes, I'm grateful for the fact that we got to witness and watch Mania. Yes, yes, I'm grateful And just like you guys, I enjoyed interacting, talking, sharing thoughts about it. Like I said, I made the best of what I could. I'm not a negative guy. I love what I'm seeing. Mm. But you got to give it to it like it is at the same time. I commend every bit of those superstars that did what they did tonight and last night. I commend the show that they still wanted to give, despite some of those who probably didn't even want to do it probably felt like it should have been postponed and waited until there was actual fans in attendance. Nonetheless, what's done is done. WrestleMania 36 is in the books. It was in a two-part form. And there were no fans in attendance, which means this will go down in history officially as, the, as that WrestleMania that had no fans. That WrestleMania that was pretty much in a warehouse performance training center for the, for their developmental talent. That was in Orlando, Florida, instead of Tampa, Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, I am just here to say that this WrestleMania probably will be, forgo- be forgotten And if it's remembered, it's remembered for a lot of the wrong reasons. Now, some of the talent will will remember these moments. If you're Drew McIntyre, of course you're going to remember your first WWE championship win. If you're Braun Strowman, of course you're going to remember your first universal championship win. But you know what else you're going to remember? There was no fans in live attendance to celebrate it with you. There were only those watching at home who probably might have reacted how they could react at home. But you can't hear it, and they can't hear you. So, I don't know about y'all, but hopefully when next year's WrestleMania comes, which is in L.A., hopefully things are back to a norm by then because I don't know if I could go through another WrestleMania like that. Yet a long one that's in the city of Los Angeles, people. It's one thing with Tampa, Florida, but we're talking about Los Angeles, L.A., home of the Lakers, the Clippers, Hollywood. So if you're going to tell me that they're going to go to L.A. and they ain't going to Don't be no fans there. And then they probably wouldn't even go to L.A. at that point. And we'd be right back to square one of doing it in this performance center. But we ain't going to speak that into existence. Because here on the Life's a Botch podcast, we are positive people. The power of positivity, as my boys in the new day would say. So I'm here to let you know, superstars, any of my fellow WWE superstars, indie wrestlers, Promoters, writers, we love you. Stage producers, we love you. Ring announcers, every every bit of staff that put together this WrestleMania and did what they could to make this as enjoyable as they could, I salute you. I thank you. And we can't wait to be back in live attendance to celebrate cheer, boo, chant, all of that good stuff that we love to do. Continue to put on awesome shows in the meantime, and uh, we love and appreciate you guys as wrestling fans. No matter what kind of trash we talk, no matter who we do and don't like, who we're into, who we're not into, who we're fans of, not fans of, all of that, we still love and appreciate every bit of what you guys do for us to entertain. And that being said, ladies and gentlemen, that pretty much wraps it up for my review on WrestleMania 36. Again, not the greatest WrestleMania. Not in my book. It'll be remembered. It'll be something I tell my kids about. It'll be something I tell my grandkids about. I live to see all of that by the grace of God. I'll tell everybody, yep. I remember that time there was a WrestleMania with no fans in attendance because there was a pandemic that hit and it shut everything down in the States. And never would I ever, never did I ever in my 30 years of life, did I ever think that I would see a day where I'd watch WrestleMania with no fans in attendance. So quiet that you could hear pins drop. It's crazy. But nonetheless, that does it for this edition of the Life's a Botch podcast. Be sure that you follow your boy on Instagram at Life's a Botch podcast. Make sure you follow all things Life's a Botch Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube at Life's a Botch Podcast because we're live for the very first time, baby. Now, I know the camera is a little bit, you know, grimy right now. Have no fret. Have no fear. Pretty soon, all of this is going to be upgraded very, very, very soon. But thank you guys for listening, downloading. Be sure to leave ratings, five-star ratings. Share this with your friends. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. And, uh, yeah, man. Download the show. Subscribe to the show. And uh, merch coming soon. And, uh, yeah. Now that Mania is over, I believe there's a Raw and possibly a SmackDown taping. And after that, it's up in the air what's going to happen from this point on because everybody is currently in lockdown in Orlando and in quarantine, so we can't really expect many more Raws and SmackDowns to come in the future. They did promote money in the bank, I noticed. It's supposed to be in May. That's interesting because normally it's in June, so I don't know why it's in May. It should be in June, seeing as how you can't guarantee that we'll be back to normal by May so all of that to be said to say this in the meantime I will definitely keep content coming for you guys whether it's reviewing a past WrestleMania reviewing some documentaries on the WWE Network or the dark side of the ring and anything else that you guys would like me to talk chop it up with you about Don't worry, I'm going to get creative with the content, do some cool things with the segments. Definitely going to try to keep getting you guys guests. So just keep on rocking with your boy. And make sure you're rocking with my family on the OTS brand as well. Until the next time, y'all, always remember, you have officially been botched. Peace!